I want to dive into John 20, the, the end of John chapter 20 before we get to the last chapter. And if last week was about fear in our lives, then this week is really just about faith. Last week, we, we were challenged with the question, what do you fear? As the disciples feared uh, post-resurrection, they didn't know Jesus had raised and he revealed himself and he really stepped into their fears. This week, we'll encounter Thomas. Jesus steps into the real faith struggle. And so practically, I think you and I can identify with what a struggle it is to have faith at times. So what I want to do is I want to read the, the um, account with Thomas in John chapter 20. I want to read, picking up in verse 24, all the way through 31. This is the end of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. Many of us know this story, or at least maybe have heard of it in Sunday school, but I want to listen and, and have our hearts be open to what's going on here. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. I want to pray for us as we come to God's word. Just a brief prayer. Say, God, would you just open my heart, minimize distraction, my mind racing, and that I would meet you here and you would speak to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. Thank you for this narrative of this account with Thomas. Pray that we would learn from it. Open our hearts, strengthen our faith, encourage us, guide us towards true repentance and true belief. And may Jesus be exalted. We thank these things we pray in his name. And all God's people said. So if I asked you the question last week of what you feared, I would ask you this kind of trickier question. What do you disbelieve? Now that's awkward as a question because I could ask you, what do you believe? And you'd say, well, I could tell you a bunch of things I believe. And we know that our actions flow from our beliefs. So when we truly believe in something, we put our money where our mouth is and we act on those beliefs. But I'm asking you a different question. What do you disbelieve? That might be more complex, an area where you say, I'm really doubting God in this. Or, or maybe I'm running towards this sin because I disbelieve that God is more pleasurable. Life with Jesus is more joy than this particular thing. And so as I move us through this account, just kind of stir with that question, what do I disbelieve? What do I lack faith in? And I want to distinguish even that. But what is unbelief? We know what belief is, right? It's faith. But disbelief or unbelief, as the scripture said here, is 
anti-faith. It's everything against what would propel us towards trusting God, depending on him, surrendering to him in all his ways. Our disbelief is just like anti-faith. And it is with that that we battle. There's a tension. Anybody that's walked a faith journey know that there's a great battle. It's a faith struggle. We struggle at times in doubt and fear and anxiety. We struggle like with circumstance, like God said he was this, but why is this happening? It's a constant battle. And I just want to encourage you to fight that good fight. It is a fight. I'm not saying it's not a battle. I'm not saying it's not a fight, but fight the good fight. At times we, we feel like the tension with God his word being met with circumstances and all the emotions and possible outcomes seem to work against making it easy to trust God. If it were easy to trust God, like much of what we do in the church would not even be necessary. Praying for one another and encouraging one another and being fed from God's word, it would just be easy. But we know it's not. It's a struggle on earth. Now right off the bat, I want to make something clear. Unbelief is different than doubt. That's just about as confusing to me as maybe you hear it. So you have to unpack that a little bit. But unbelief is different. Unbelief is no faith, like no possibility. Doubt is a lack of faith. Like it's, it's hard. Like unbelief says, I'm not going to, when you see Thomas say that, I'm not going to believe. It's kind of like totally rejecting. And doubt is different. You know, I've heard commentators say doubt is not a sin. And I like, oh, I wrestle with that. Like, how is doubt not a sin? But doubt is just this, like, it's really hard to trust right now. And you look at the possible outcomes and there seems to be so much, but I'm trying. I just lack it. It's weak, if you will. Unbelief is worse. It doesn't struggle to believe like doubt does. It just simply won't. And maybe even can't. And your heart in moments just says, I just don't believe God right now. Again, it's not like I doubt God is going to do this. That's kind of like that ah, anticipation. We hold that with an open hand. Unbelief is worse. It just says like, I just am I'm doubting God or not doubting God, but I'm disbelieving God in this thing. I just don't see it. Now, doubt has this attitude of like, I, I, I don't think this is going to happen. That's why it's held loosely, a prediction of an outcome. And it sounds clinical, but what does that practically look for? practically look like for us in moments of life's difficulties? Because we have to understand that it's in life's difficulties our faith is tested. You know, I went to Colorado. I spoke in First Peter, and these verses will be on the screen here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why God gives us trials. He says they're necessary. You ought to rejoice in them so that they might, might test the genuineness of your faith. Kind of like to see how genuine that really is. Do you, are you really trusting? Are you really submitting? Are you really surrendering? Because faith is seldom needed. Let's be honest. Faith is seldom needed when life is cruising along really well. Often in the church as it is, trials hit us, circumstances unforeseen, and that's when our faith is tested. That's when we need faith. That's when it's proven. Often in the church, people are coasting by and they don't really realize what they believe or disbelieve because they don't need to. They're not faced with it. It's when life kind of smacks you in the face that you say, oh, now I'm going to figure out whether I really believe or if I disbelieve. 
In fact, it's easy to believe when Jesus is physically standing in the room with you, and it's not is easy when, when he's not, and that's where we meet Thomas. Now, he's affectionately known as Doubting Thomas, right? But I maybe for the point of understanding, I would have you call him Unbelieving or Disbelieving Thomas today. Now, I don't want to throw him under the bus quite yet because it's tempting in the Gospels to develop a, flu, a full-blown personality profile of Bible characters when we don't have much written about them. So that's why we throw the disciples under the bus because we read one negative moment in perception about them and we say, oh, doubting Thomas, he has no faith. Well, there's two other encounters in Thomas and we have to be careful in the scriptures to, to like analyze that correctly. We cannot see something that's not there. We can't make that profile about one of the Bible characters and we also cannot miss what is there. It's a fine line. So in Thomas, we see these two counts in John eleven sixteen. I think we have that verse up there. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. If you remember John 11, Jesus is going back to Jerusalem and Thomas and the other disciples are afraid because they know he'll be killed. And so Thomas, doubting, unbelieving Thomas, says, let us also go that we may die with him. So this wimpy faith guy says, all right, if he's going, so are we. And, and that's like spiritually courageous, Right? So that might change your character perception a little bit. The other one was John 14, 5. He was spiritually intellectual. When Jesus was talking about going away, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He was spiritually perceptive. He wanted to know. He wanted his questions answered. So those two other accounts kind of paint a picture of a guy that maybe, maybe we shouldn't like totally throw this guy under the bus for his weak faith. He was ready to die with Jesus, and he wanted to know how to get to heaven. He was curious, if you will. So what we know of him in these two brief interactions doesn't give us the whole package, but our text gives us some insight to at least part of his personality that you might be able to identify with. In John 20, verse 24 there, we learn that Thomas had not been with the other disciples. It says one of the twelve called a twin was not with them when Jesus came. We have to ask this question then. Because all of them were together. Was Thomas afraid? Why was he alone? Why was he not with the other disciples the first time Jesus appeared? Now Thomas, it says he has two names. He's called the twin, Didymus. And, and some of us, like, if you're maybe wondering, maybe you're not, but I wonder when I read the scriptures, like, where's his brother? Like his twin brother. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know this. Many of us in this room are his twin in the way that he will respond and has responded now. Why is he alone? Because he struggles in his faith like all of us. That's why I love this account. It's real and it's raw. But what is perhaps different about him, which is why he gets isolated in the gospel text here, which all the narratives, like Jesus, like hones in on these encounters and God writes the scriptures by the spirit and, and John's gospel written a certain way so that it can highlight something for us. He chooses, it's how he chooses to respond in the struggle of faith is why this is here. And this response is where we can learn our first lesson before we can even get to verse 25. We're not even in the thick of the story. And I want to give you three enemies of faith, if you will, things that are anti-faith. I think the immediate first lesson that all of us can glean from this text is solitude is not the answer in struggling faith. Solitude, this is what it means for me anyways regarding this, is it feeds discouragement 
and grows into self-pity. Two enemies of a growing faith in God-glorifying worship. Thomas is found alone. Why? Because he probably does have some pessimism about his faith in his personality. Like, Jesus is dead. Everything's miserable. He checks out. He's probably slung into depression. He's probably really struggling. And so what does he do? He isolates himself. Many of us can identify with that. When things get difficult, or even as I said earlier, when change happens, what is our natural, many of us, our default action, reaction is to just like retract and step away. And Thomas is a good warning for all of us to not miss being in fellowship with other believers when life is difficult and our faith is weak. It's a common practice of many who wander. Now, obviously, all of you are here right now, so you're listening to this, and maybe you are struggling even as you're here today. So I could say, well, I'm not talking to you right now. You could say that. Well, obviously, I'm here, aren't I? Well, I hope that this is a lesson that you recall when your faith gets tested and it's challenged and when life circumstances hit you and you decide, you know what? I'm just too depressed. I'll go this alone. I'll retract into solitude. I hope it prevents you from doing that because Thomas was not there. Listen to this. He missed seeing Jesus and hearing the words of Shalom the first time Jesus said it. Like he missed that. The first time Jesus encountered what we, text we looked at last week, he wasn't there. He missed the blessing of that knowing Christ was alive and he missed receiving the commission. You know, sometimes we miss and we feel like disconnected. Thomas was that. He missed the commission and he missed the taste of the spirit that Jesus breathed on them. A foreshadow of what is coming at Pentecost. Thomas missed all of that because in his depression and self-pity, he retracted in solitude. He had to endure a hard week of unbelief and misery when he could have been experiencing joy and peace. So remember Thomas when you're tempted to stay away from God's people in fellowship. There's a Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, right? Like don't give up meeting together regularly. So that's the first enemy of faith, the challenge for us. Don't isolate yourself. Life is going to be challenging and it is going to struggle, have a, 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 a part of your faith struggle. It's going to make your faith struggle, but don't isolate yourself. That's the first thing we learn. But we do know he shows up the next week. The other 10 may have been very instrumental in this, encouraging him, which of course we can glean from, but again, careful not to see what's not there. We assume they were doing that. They keep telling him though about the encounter in verse 25. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So somewhere between the eight days where Jesus shows up again to Thomas and that first resurrection Sunday, the other disciples said, we've seen him. He's alive. He's risen. They're encouraging him with that. But Thomas's reaction is, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. They had seen him. Why wouldn't he believe? Why was he going to take their word? Remember, Thomas here is rebuked by Jesus, not for his doubt, but for his unbelief. That's why I think it's more appropriate to call him disbelieving or unbelieving Thomas. Now, what truly is the difference between doubt and unbelief? Thomas says he wants to believe, but he simply won't unless. And I want to challenge us. How many of you have ever made a bargain with God in that way in your faith journey? 
I've seen like the memes of like even all the way back in 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series and the next like evening or that was Saturday night, the next morning was church and there's like memes like if you've ever made a deal with God, church starts at this time. And it's like, but that's a funny version, but how many of you have actually bargained with God? God, I'll trust you if. I'll trust you if you do this. Maybe it's for some of us that, that could never have kids. I'll trust you I'll live my life for you if you provide for me a child. God, if you take away my cancer, my sickness, then I'll trust you. God, if you provide this job for me, then I'll, I'll know you're real. Then I'll trust you. Have you ever bargained with God or made a deal? How often do we put God to the test this way? We want a sign. We demand a sign. Friends, I just want to stop and say this is dangerous. Now, if you want to go back to the Old Testament, the book of Judges, some of you might be like, wait a second, now what about Gideon? Gideon did it, right? He like put God to the test, if you will. Even though the New Testament says, no, don't test God. All right? But Gideon does because he says, God, I want you to show yourself to me, so I'm going to put the fleece out. And we know that this happened a couple times. He puts the fleece out, and then it's wet the one day, and the ground is dry, and then reverses that because he needed another sign. We know that Bible characters have, if you will, bargained or demanded for, with God for a sign. I think there's a big difference, and let me explain that. Gideon and all those others acted after God had already commanded them to do something specific. And I think that's the difference. Something that he had already determined. God spoke first, said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then they reacted to that. It's different when we bargain. Here's what I see the problem was with our faith. We like to trust God for big things, and that's good. We like to trust God, like if we need a job and it's like feels like the right one, or maybe it's not, like it's out of our league, we say, God, I want to trust you for this. Or in journeys of church ministry, God, we really want to trust you for giant things, vision things like that. And I think that's okay, but I think sometimes we have faith in the wrong things. Let me explain. Sometimes we ask God to show up for things that, we determine. That's different. In Gideon's account, as far as I can tell, God has already said, here's what's going to happen. Trust me. He did that with Moses. Here's what I want you to do. If you go to Exodus 4, Moses makes the laundry list of excuses. He just gives it to God. But God, like, ah, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. God shows himself again. And then he shows him the staff. And that's why I'm excited about Exodus. It's so like real life with Moses. And then he's like, well, I, I don't speak well. And he says, ah, oh, you're killing me, Moses. I'll give you Aaron. Like he just makes every excuse, but he's already acted. He's already determined. Sometimes we ask God to show up for things that we set in motion, the things we want, the things we will, the things we desire. And it's a dangerous, faith-hurting game to play. Because it doesn't say that you'll surrender to God's will or way. It says that God... My faith is contingent on how you show up in this moment. Your character is based on what you give me. I've always said God's not a vending machine, but like if I set the determinant steps here, like this is the job and God, if you don't provide it, that's about you. That's a dangerous faith-hurting game to play. I believe you can trust God for things he has said and that he has done, but that doesn't mean God delivers on everything you want to believe and have faith for. Does that make sense? So the second thing the enemy is don't bargain with God. Don't isolate yourself in your struggle of faith and don't bargain. Don't make deals with God. It's faith hurting. 
Verse 25, Thomas's words help us understand the difference between doubt and belief. As we look, he says, I cannot believe. That's essentially what he's saying. There's too many problems here at play. And maybe it was an intellectual thing. Unbelief says, though, I will not believe. That's what Thomas is doing. Unless you give me the evidence I asked for. In fact, the Greek text here is a double negative present, and it's better understood as I positively will not believe. That's what Thomas says. If we translate better towards our English, I positively will not believe. Like that's affirmative. Like I'm not believing. Even though the other disciples were speaking it, he just says, nope, not doing it. Keep in mind, though, Jesus heard Thomas, and I think this you could miss in the text. Nobody had to tell Jesus what Thomas was going through. And that's very interesting about this account. We don't get a hint here that, that the other disciples then went and tattled on him because they only saw him the once. There was the week of struggle, and then they saw him again. They didn't see him in the middle of that. All right? So there's none of this like, Thomas, Jesus is like, he's being like dumb again. You need to come and talk to him. No, Jesus heard it. Because God knows your heart from moment to moment. This should encourage us as we read this. God knows your heart from moment to moment. You don't need to like, somebody doesn't need to communicate to God. And like when you meet with me and tell me I'm struggling, I'll be like, God, I don't know if you knew this, but there's, no, there's none of that. God knows and he cares. Sometimes I think we forget that. Like he knows what you're walking through because sometimes we feel like abandoned in things and we feel lonely in things. And that's reality of circumstance. But here's the beauty and graciousness of God. Here's the beautiful care displayed in Jesus. Just like we saw last week when he steps towards our fears, now he's stepping towards unbelief for Thomas. He is gracious enough, listen to this, to stoop down to our level of experience in order to lift us to where we ought to be. That's the grace of Christ. It's like you fear, you don't need to. I'm going to like come and show myself. You unbelief like you in unbelief, you disbelieve, I will stoop down and try to pick you out of this depression. So he comes to Thomas personally in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas this time was with them. I don't know what he, he like, he gathered back when they maybe twisted his arm, and he's with them. And although the doors were locked, did you catch that? They didn't listen to my sermon last week. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Eight days later, somewhere between the resurrection evening and this encounter, disciples convinced Thomas it's been a week for him, a long, hard week, but now Jesus shows up and he brings what again? Shalom. It's another greeting. He brings it again. He says, shalom, this peace be with you. I want to bring you life to the fullest of the kingdom. It's, it's the real deal this time. Shalom, it's authentic. It's the first time you can have peace with God because of my death and now resurrection. And immediately in verse 27, he addresses Thomas. Put your finger here. Look at the care and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Remember I said that nobody told Jesus? Thomas spoke those words to the disciples and said, unless I see this, this, and this. And so what does Jesus do? He comes and says, come here. Like, I know you struggle with this specifically. He's very specific so when we pray, it should be an encouragement. When we ask God, when we are honest with him, when we speak, he knows. And here Jesus delivers on all those very specific things. Put your finger in the mark of the nail. Put your hand in my side. I know those are things that I don't, like, I don't need to do right now, but I know those were struggles for you. 
It's not this evidence that Jesus has heard Thomas. Think about how often we need to know God's presence and he shows up in our life in various ways. Again, not giving us what we always want, but certainly what we need. There have been numerous times where I have struggled in my faith and God has shown his presence in very tangible ways. I could give you a laundry list, like just a long list of ways, and I'm sure you could, where I've just like needed to know that God was with me in this and he showed me something. Even just this Friday, and I, I shared this with a couple of people as they were walking, and I've shared this with a couple of people through the week. This Friday, Josiah's bed got delivered, and that's kind of like a big deal in our house because it's his medical bed, and we've kind of had him in like this modified like crib, and he's growing out of that, and he needs to be safe because he sleeps at an incline, and all the details you don't need to know, but he has a lot of hoses and cables and all these things running. He just needs to be safe, and he doesn't have the you know, muscle strength to pull himself out of a bad situation. And so he gets this bed that's delivered on Friday. And this bed, I stood there after those guys left. And I was just like, God, you are just so present still. And let me tell you why. This bed was something that Carrie had found. She, they usually, uh, health insurance gives you this standard bed. And then we found this mattress from the UK, from England, which is far advanced. So Fiona is like the only one in the room that knows like, yeah, we're superior. Um, and, and we, we found this thing, but it's really expensive. It was 9,000 bucks. And I only say that just for like, whew, like he's really comfy right now because of this bed. Um, but Carrie had emailed and they said, yeah, we'll submit that. But insurance denied, insurance denied. You can do it, but it'll never happen. So like, hate to break your heart. And we get this email back from her that like, she said, I almost fell out of my chair. Like this thing gets approved. And so I stood there at that bed and I just was like, praising God. Like, this is like this piece of equipment that everybody said, this will never be in your room. And I was just like, if that's not God's faithfulness, which Carrie was able to share, hey, like, I know you fell off your chair, and I don't know what kind of bruise that created for you, but when God owns everything and we worship God, like, anything is possible. And that was just a sign of encouragement of God's presence because he cares. Does Josiah need that super comfy bed in all its ways? That's just what God wanted to do for us. And if I slip into it a few nights myself, <laughs> no, I can't. It's got all these straps and things. It's, I'm too big. So here Jesus shows himself to Thomas, but then challenges his faith. He shows himself as he often does, but then he challenges again. His words literally translating here, stop becoming faithless. What does he say? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop becoming faithless, but become a believer. Like I'm here. I'm showing myself to you. Jesus saw a dangerous process in the work of Thomas's heart, and he wants to put a screeching halt to it. God warns against this type of attitude in Hebrews 3.12 when he talks about an evil heart of unbelief. And Jesus sees his heart developing in depression and isolation and bartering. And he says, no, 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 no. What your heart is doing is very bad. Stop becoming faithless, but believe. And Jesus stepped towards that. And so that's the third thing. Don't disbelieve. Don't isolate yourself. Don't bargain with God. And don't disbelieve. And you say, well, that sounds obvious, but that's challenging. It's not easy to understand the psychology of doubt and unbelief. Maybe it's linked to personality traits, maybe not. Maybe some are simply more trusting and optimistic than others. What's the age-old question? Is the glass half full or is it half empty? For me, I'm more of a realist. It's just got half of water in it. It's like it just, it's got water in it. It's not all the way to the top. 
Maybe he struggled in a battle more than others. Maybe you struggle in a battle more with others in depression and pessimism. We just know he was pretty close to being ready to quit here. And whatever it is, he throws down a challenge at Jesus. And I think, thinking never, like, it's not likely that he'll actually step into it and accept it. Now, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark, and I won't spend a lot of time there, with a similar situation. I just want you to see Jesus' care for in chapter 9, verses 21 through 24. Jesus had been called to heal the, the, the demon-possessed boy, and this father he has this encounter with him. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it was, has often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. So there's a bad situation here with this kid. And he says, but if you, he's asking this to Jesus, like sometimes we ask God, but if you can do anything, have compassion on help on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, like, do you know who you're asking? That should be a reminder, like sometimes we God, like, I don't know, God, if you're too busy or like, God, can you? And he says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who what? believes. Now look at this. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. What does he ask for? Help my unbelief. So there's a tension there that exists. Like I believe, but God, would you help me? And I see that in play with Thomas here. That he's, he's seeing and he's just like, God, I, I need the sign. I need the evidence. Would you help me? And we see that Jesus has compassion in that situation and the Gospel of Mark, as he does with Thomas. Jesus wants to help in our faith. Although now Thomas is faced with the decision, like we would be in that moment in verse 28. So Thomas answers him, his response, my Lord and my God. He gives us that decision to trust in the Lord. Now, interesting to note is verse 29 tells us that his testimony came not from touching him, but from seeing him. Jesus said to him, have you believed me because you have seen me. We don't even know if Thomas took him up on the putting his finger in the mark of the nail or putting his hand. It never says that. So we don't even know if that actually happened or if just seeing Jesus was enough. Seeing the care that Jesus stepped towards and said, Thomas, do you know that I love you, care about you? I want to like help you in your faith struggle. I want you to know me. I want you to feel the blessing and experience true shalom and I'll step towards that. And so maybe Thomas never even did the tangible evidence thing, but he saw Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. Now think about that in worship. That's not bargaining with God. That's saying my Lord, Jesus, as the Christ, is risen from the dead, and my God. Gods are things we give our lives to. They're idols that we worship or don't worship. And the God of the universe, when we when we give ourselves to him in worship, is our God, which means he can do anything he wants, which means it's about what he determines, what he wishes, and we surrender to that. Now, as a side note, as I'm wrapping up here, would it have been easier for Thomas to believe had he been there the first time? We could say, I think so. I think we often struggle to believe because God feels distant. So our surety of his presence makes it easier. For Thomas, it certainly was. He didn't even have to touch him, perhaps, just see him. But I mention that because I know there are times, and I wanted to address this briefly, that God asks us to trust when we know he's present in this situation, but it doesn't look like it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, sometimes it's harder. Carrie says this a lot. Sometimes it's harder to trust God when you know he's there and has the power to do it. 
And I know Carrie said that often. Sometimes because, like for believers, it's almost harder because we know who we serve. And so sometimes it hurts more and sometimes it's more of a struggle when God, I know you could heal. I know you could just speak a word. And sometimes that presses against us even more. So it's not always God's presence being like feeling distant that it's hard. Sometimes it's, it feels more difficult and that's just being raw and honest because he is there and we know, God, you could just step into this any, why aren't you doing that? And sometimes that's what it's about. And it's not that you don't believe he could do it, it's just that you do and struggle to understand why he doesn't, which is why Thomas's pronouncement is so beautiful. My Lord and my God, not only had to be reunited with Jesus in fellowship, but he's God. That means surrender. That means whatever you will, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult, that means another step when I don't get to see all the things God's doing in the background. So Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus' words here should not be viewed as condemnation against Thomas, but rather a reward for those who come after him, you and I. You see, Jesus is essentially saying, blessed are you, who do not get to see me stand in the room with the marks in my hands and the, 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 the hole in my side. We haven't seen that physical, tangible presence. And he says, blessed are you, the future generations of people that will follow and understand the gospel and the spirit will come and show up and you will believe and trust in the historical account of Jesus. Blessed are you who have not gone to see, but you still have faith in God and the resurrection the evidence. You still have faith in all the prophecies fulfilled up to Jesus. You have faith in his word and his promise, which is exactly why John concludes with the invitation in verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Can you even, I'll just stop there. Can you even imagine all the things we know about what Jesus did? There's like books and books of things that aren't even recorded. Like we get to see the snapshot and Jesus did far many more things. But these are written, these particular accounts, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's an invitation. We have his very word and the account of all that occurred fulfilled. And what does he say? That you may believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, that he died for sin, that he died for your sin, that he shed his blood for you, that he is the Son of God. What does that mean? That he had, his life was righteous. It was perfectly holy. He was divine. He came to this earth as not just human, but as God atoning for us and living perfectly so that he could be the perfect lamb. And thirdly, that we can have life in his name. That when we have faith, we get to experience not just the hope of eternity and the pleasure of knowing that we will one day be with Jesus forever, that that punishment for our sin has been absorbed in Jesus, but that we can experience true shalom, life in the kingdom, we can experience life. We don't have to walk around like Eeyore-ish. Like, oh, this is happening. We can have joy and peace, shalom, life in his name. As I close, we need to just remind ourselves that everybody lives by faith. Cindy read it earlier, what faith was in Hebrews 11. The difference is the object of our faith. Christians put their faith in God and his word, what he has already declared, not in themselves. And it's a battle but keep fighting the good fight and stay away from these enemies. Don't isolate yourself. Don't bargain with God. Don't disbelieve. And so you say, well, what can I do? Just flip those around. Join with God's people. 
Make it a priority to be around God's people. Carrie and I say this often. We don't know what we'd do if like we didn't have people around us encouraging us, like walking with us. Don't isolate yourself. Join with God's people. The second thing, be obedient to what God is asking you to do. Surrender. Don't, don't say, God, I'll do this if you do this. Just let him be God. Bargain is a deal that you want to make when you feel like you can jip somebody or get out of something. Why don't we just give to God what he is owed? in worship, in our service, in our obedience, in our prayer. And then don't disbelieve, but believe. Trust him. Take him at his word. Believe what he says. There's an old song as I close that says, God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. I pray that that would be true of us. Jesus offers and invites us to life in his name. Let's pray together. But I want to leave you with this. I referenced it often in 1 Timothy uh, verse 12 of chapter 6. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Have a blessed day. Go in true shalom peace. You are sent.